1: lawyer podcast on the inside lens network with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides suspicious deaths and other topics of interest to our audience my name is denny griffin and my co-host is delilah jones of imagine publicity
0: hi delilah hey denny how are you doing today
1: i'm great and how about you
0: same. I think one before we get into this particular episode I just want to explain to listeners out there that the Inside Lens Network this is our 701 show. So number 701. So we've been around a long time and there's a lot of different types of shows to listen to. So, you know, if you are homebound right now like a lot of us are, Take some time out of your day. Go through and and give a listen to some of the topics um, that we've presented over the years. I'm sure there's something for you out there. And I just also want to say that some of the the podcasts that uh, the Inside Lens Network highlights are going to be criminal cases, some which are still open investigations. Our intent is to allow our guests to present information for consideration by listeners. Our podcast and hosts, we don't represent our guests. uh, We don't claim to solve cases, nor do we wish to jeopardize any open investigations. Our guests present their own information, and while we might suggest some resources and assistance, we're not liable for what they're going to do with that information. So that being said, um, welcome to the Inside Lens Network and CrimeWire.
1: Thanks, Dee. In the summer of 1982, then 22-year-old Kathy Shaw was kidnapped and raped in North Carolina. After several days in captivity, she was able to escape. Embarrassed and ashamed, she didn't report the incident to the police However, by June of 2007, she had come to grips with what had happened to her and was concerned that the person who kidnapped and assaulted her may have attacked other girls as well. Other girls who may not have been as fortunate as she had been. Other girls that may be listed as missing. Kathy went to the Rockingham County, North Carolina Sheriff's Office and filed a report with them. She also wrote a book about her experience titled My First Walk. Today we are joined by Kathy Shaw. Kathy, welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you. Nice to have.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, i was glad you could join us. Uh, I'd like, if you would, Kathy, to tell us and our listeners uh, from the beginning of that night in 1982 and what happened to you in Rockingham County.
2: Well, I was on a walk. I had left a tavern, and it was just too rough for me to go in. And I was walking for a little bit, and all of a sudden I heard a really loud noise of an old, kind of like a clunker pickup truck, very loud. And and it kept dying out, and I thought, well, maybe someone's just getting stranded close to me or And then I happened to look to the left, and he started back up and stopped right beside me and rolled the window down. And when I seen those eyes, I knew right there, there was, I just feared trouble coming. He was very uh, criminal looking, very drunk, and, and just very mean looking, and like he's been out all night, and shabby hair, and and he rolled the window down and asked if I wanted to ride. And I said, no, I'm walking. And I wasn't walking. I was running when I seen that face. And I just felt some fear. And so I started to run. And I, before I knew it, he had me by the hair. And I was drug at knife point into the pickup truck and, he held my mouth with his hand and locked the door on the right, which I don't think it had remote locks and pulled me over close to him. And that's when he pulled a knife out and told me I better not talk or scream and uh, just a lot of bad cuss words and all. And he was pretty well drunk and I, I was scared to death and, I as I got in the truck, I noticed he was going pretty fast, and he drove up to a area there was like sand dunes, kind of like a area remote and He went pretty fast over these sand dunes, a lot of sand was flying, and he parked up in a corner, there was a little brick like white fence picket house and it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. I seen like a company that was shut down next door, like a old telephone company or some type of... It had long like towers, a long field with just grassy hay looking. And, and I noticed there was a couple of kids in the front yard. They were eating popsicles and little blonde-headed boys, maybe two and four years of age. And I actually... Kind of you know knew kind of swayed them towards me, but I knew well, what can they do and he told me if I tried to run from there, he'd blow my brains out. he had a gun as well and and there was actually really no place to run and before I knew it, he'd come out the door, he had a little sandy white bag with some yellow twisted rope with an anchor in it and He took off again, and the same thing, the sand was flying. He went over the humps, and I'll never forget the turn signals. I paid attention, and it was actually the right turn signal that came on again, and he started driving very fast, and before I knew it, he had another right turn signal, and went way down in there this time it wasn't just little rocky humps it was a rock quarry and um it was pretty deep down in there it, it was like in the middle of nowhere and once he got to the bottom it was like he knew where to park under this overlook of a rock and he went right smoothly down in the center and stopped pulled the gun to my head and told me he counted to three and said, "I had to count to three to pretty much take your GD and that's in close office how we used it." And and then everything pretty well was just awful from there. A lot of bad things went on, and you can figure that out. But it was really bad, and I noticed he was. Banging on the steering wheel, cussing the whole time, and like he was so angry with somebody, and kept using that G D B I T C H, and and I was very nervous after that. I, I was extremely nervous because he just was screaming so loud. It was like someone that was really angry with someone, or just got into it with maybe a some woman or. And I, I was there three days and three nights and listening to that. And, and, of course, the other awful thing that he did to me, and you can figure that one out, but I was watching that three days and three nights, and I kind of got really to the point where I just froze up and I felt I couldn't feel anything. I was into a shock. I mean, I just started shaking, and I didn't even know if I could move or if I even could try to move or escape you know I was just so traumatized to him and with a lock of the bottle he was drinking I kept watching his head hit the steering wheel and it was about the 10th time it finally did come back up he was passed out and I really didn't know if I wanted to try to escape I was so terrified that he would wake up by the sound of the door squeaking when I did try to escape it was it had a squeak in it and I sat there for an hour and just kept debating what to do and kept watching him snore and very very loud and I decided this is my only chance to make a run and so I got everything I owned and counted to three and I just tore off as fast as I could and I really didn't know which way to go the left the right the back or the side there was just no place to get out of there there was no opening there was nothing and I just immediately ran to the top and I just didn't stop until I seen an open kind of like I heard an open highway a road and a two-way is what I seen and I just ran and ran and ran till I just totally almost was passed out. And and I finally seen an SUV coming with a couple, and I threw my hands up and just started screaming. And uh, praise the Lord, they stopped. And I got in, and at the same time, I seen him coming up from the rock quarry, and he hollered at me, watch out for the GV. MF and snakes and turned off to the right and went real fast and that was all I've ever seen him again and I was just screaming at him I used every word in the book and that's not me I was really upset but and the couple wanted to take me to the police or to you know the hospital and I said no I'm fine I'll be okay and and I um I knew that I, I blamed myself for this, and I was very ashamed and embarrassed to come out with it, and I, I kept this inside to the point where I, I just couldn't go on anymore. I was on the verge of almost, and I even tried to end my life, and I actually was inspired in 2007 by a Commonwealth attorney, Dennis Lee. He's the one when I was in Virginia that I worked with that I saved a lot of kids from a pedophile and one was a family member. And I worked so hard and I told Dennis my story and he told me it wasn't fair to other women out there that I didn't report this. And I never really looked at it like that. And I thought, well, if I come late, will I be in trouble for this? Of course not, you know, I I blame myself And to this day, you know, I thought that I should have got out there and walked But I walked for a good cause and a good reason And um, I did come forward uh, with uh, Rockingham County And they pretty much looked at me like I was kind of crazy or something And they did, of course, my lie detectives And Asked me some questions if I had uh, see-through clothes on and provoked it in any way, which I thought that was just a normal question, but no, that's not. Um, that is not should have been said. Not in. It just made me feel like it was my fault, and you know, and I didn't dress in any see-through clothes. Uh, I wasn't that type of a girl. I was a very well-dressed, you know, very neat-looking lady. I just didn't dress. With anything that would even provoke anything And even if I were to have a swimsuit It's no reason to somebody To to do that to somebody And um, Then they held on to it for about a year and a half And I might have gotten one or two calls Back and that's because I called to check Into my case and Never heard anything and then when I did Call back they said that it belonged to Caswell County my case And then they had it and Uh, They passed it back. They said it wasn't theirs. They passed it back several, several, several times. And Rockingham said they need to own up and take this case and be a man about it and and take it. And they never did. They just kept passing it and passing it. And they actually put me down worse in uh, Caswell County. They were very, very rude to me and told me I didn't even have a case and told me that um, just all kinds of questions, one detective, detectives, if I was a party girl, and, and the third one that took it, Captain Saley, he was very nice, but then he left and went to Rockingham County. He works there now, and my case has been there in a cold case file, and it's not even been opened up, I guess. It's just sitting there, and meanwhile, I went to a forensic. I went to the same forensic that did the sketch and the age progression for it was John Walsh's son's fingerprinter, Adam, the Otis tool that murdered him. I had the sketch artist. I wanted resolution so bad, you know, to do this myself and get an answer. And he did the sketch and the age progression. And I actually kind of found a person that was at a place with a certain family member at the time that I gave detail of this person. And he mentioned two names right off. And I looked up one of them, and I think I could be exactly 80% sure, and there is brothers, and there are kin people, but I could be 80% sure that that was the one. And if I'm wrong, then of course, he's still out there. And I don't know how many more that are missing in the area, but if he's actually come by in a truck and picked them up, then they were the unfortunate ones that didn't escape. And I feel to this day that they possibly do need to maybe even drain the rock quarry or try to search for more bodies. And I was one of the lucky ones that did escape. And I'm here today to tell my story. And that's really about everything.
1: Now, Kathy, uh, if I'm correct, uh, when this happened to you in 1982, you were not a native uh, of North Carolina or of Rockingham County. Oh, you were no, there sir. visiting, am I correct?
2: <clears throat> no, sir. Uh, we had come from Florida. Uh, we come from Florida and to visit a friend and one of my relatives to visit a friend. And... It all started when, you know, the tavern, everybody went in, and I didn't want to go in, so that's when I took off walking from the tavern. It was very new to me, the whole area. I I didn't know anybody.
1: So everything was strange. The the people and the terrain uh, was all new to you. Yes, sir. Okay. um, Now, I want to just... uh, We'll talk about this more later, but I, you also wrote the book, my first walk. Could you tell us um,
2: well, how, how um, come you
1: decided to write a book? um uh,
2: what it was um exactly how it went. I had a manuscript, and I write a lot because it's a healer to me i I actually majored in writing and I love writing, and I like to write like manuscripts and just everything and I wrote and wrote and wrote over the years, and um, I even made a picture of his face and threw a dartboard, and it it was closure for me, but I wrote quite a bit, and and there was a company that kind of, uh, I believe they were in it to make the story very dirty sounding, and they reworded a lot of it and put some really, you know, bad things in it that wasn't even happened like it was, and I kind of got upset with it, and I really haven't seen the family anymore, but they named it, um, you know, a certain name, and it really wasn't, a, it was just a lot of bad language, bad things that happened, a lot of twisted things, and and um, I had signed a few contracts, but I got out of them with, you know, I talked to an attorney, and he said, It was my life, and there's nothing they can do with it, but whether they are or not, I don't know, but I completely named it something else, and, you know, I wanted it to be kind of a sad story that turned into something great, my escape, and I'm hoping one day that, you know, with a manuscript that I can get somebody professional or somebody that knows what they're doing, and, you know, that leaves out um, the twisted ends and the truth. It only must be the truth and I'm a very honest person and I someday want to rewrite it by my manuscript but I'm not that great at doing a book or publishing. I don't know how to do all that stuff but I would really like one day if somebody ever did want to write it and get it out there it would be Possibly it might save a lot of other ones or could bring some forward to some missing. But I know this person, I don't even want to call him a person, he he was just so mean and it's kind of, I have a lot of PTSD and take a lot of medication and depression, kind of depression medicine. And I'm a very nervous person and I do feel a lot like it's it's messed with a lot of my life and I just can't move on and seem to forget it. And, you know, I did start a counseling program and they just want to give you up on medication. And I take something for depression and um, PTSD, but I, I don't take all that <laughs> zombie stuff for, you know, nerves and stuff. I would just rather write and just get it out that way. And that's what I've been doing over the years. But there's not a minute to where when it comes nighttime or I don't think about it or dream about it or have nightmares or terrified to go to sleep. And I have a lot of watchdogs and I'm just always afraid. I don't travel at night. I don't even hardly go out at dark unless it's to go to work. But I'm I'm terrified of everything. And It's left me with a deep hatred towards men, and I just don't want to live like that forever, but writing has helped me a whole lot. I mean, a whole lot. And someday I hope somebody will pick it up and maybe want to make it into something where other people can see it, and it might ring a bell to some of the other missing, because I think it was very well shoved under the rug, and it was something that needed to be out there, and I even tried to show him the sketch, and they even kind of laughed at it and said, well, the lips are big, and, and it's darker, and that's what the sketch artist made it. He had a dark suntan and a bigger like mouth and all, and that's the way he did it, and he was professional. He was the one that bought John Walsh's son to justice that fingerprinted him, and he knew what he was doing, and I really think they they were jealous of the comparison that that I did and all the work I did, and I really think that's what it was. But I did work hard on this, and I came a long ways.
1: Now, Kathy, the um, I believe that uh, you and I talked about this in the uh, previously, is that the reason uh, you had Caswell and Rockingham uh, County involved was because it was a matter of where the abduction, in other words, where you were, what county you were in when the kidnapping Uh, took place, and then apparently the the stone quarry was in another county. Am I correct on that, that that's why the two different counties uh, were?
2: Yes, Um, sir. I I believe it was a jurisdiction issue, but they had a meeting, and it was involved with quite a bit of some of the higher-ups in the state, but they had a meeting that indefinitely – and definitely belonged to Caswell County. It was their case and their jurisdiction, but they kept refusing it, and they passed it again. But it's now sitting in Rockingham County, and it's just useless. It's just lying in a cold case file, and that's about it.
1: <laughs> now, since you filed your report back in, in 2007, uh What has anyone, either Caswell, obviously, who's done nothing, or Rockingham done in the way of actual investigation? Have they interviewed people? Have they gone to the stone quarry? Have they done any search of the stone uh, quarry?
2: Rockingham County had went to the rock quarry inside the office there and talked to some people. He actually had, like, oil or dust on him, like he was worked in some type of a well, carpenter, painter, or some type of underground outside work, and um, they took me to Burlington to do the sketch, which I did that in black and white. They had a set of eyes and nose, and they put it all together in Burlington, and that's really, uh, he took me to the rock quarry, and Yeah, it was. I got a lot out of me at the rock quarry because I, I was. He left me alone for a little while, and I just had words with the quarry and was just grateful. And I was actually (laughs) very grateful I got out and kind of screaming at it at the same time. But I got a lot of closure there, and I just know today I'm, I'm a very lucky girl to actually be here and. I pray every day to this day that I did to the bottle that he was drinking on that I did get to escape, and I'm just very lucky.
1: Kathy, did uh, after you got the uh, the the sketch artist to do the uh, composite, did the uh, did the police ever locate this individual or anyone who looked like him? Did they ever interview anybody that you know of?
2: Now, I had mentioned a name that, that I was eighty um, percent sure, and because boy, it looked like the age progression, and it it I even heard the voice because I found the name, I heard the voice, and seen the younger version, and it was just absolutely unbelievable. It was so much alike. It was I could be eighty percent sure, and I told him, and they brought him in the office and said that he he worked at a business and. They showed a picture of me, and he said, I've never seen her before, and that was it. And I thought, well, you should have called me in to do a lineup or something, you know. I I wanted to, I I could have right then and there, you know, and they they just seemed to show a picture of me, and that was it. That was the whole investigation, and then I heard nothing more. But I worked myself on this side.
1: As far as you know right now, Kathy, that's all that's been done, right? You don't have any information that they've done anything in addition to that?
2: Oh, oh no, nothing. It's actually, um, I believe, yeah, Rockingham County has it, and it's in a file there because she said it was in a cold case file just sitting. And I do know the last uh, detective that was working on it, Captain Saley, he now works for Rockingham County, so... I don't know in Caswell County anybody that would even be working on it now or have it because he's left there and he's joined to Rockingham County. So, And I did speak to him not too long ago and I asked him where my case was and he believed it was in Rockingham County still where they passed it, you know, back and forth and then they, they did find it because they sent me records. So evidently it's been sitting and...
1: How uh, how frustrated are you about the apparent lack of investigation?
2: Well, I thought it was like I said, you know, Rockingham did a few things, but I I really had to keep on to them, and Caswell did nothing except put me down, and you know, and I was I was just real aggravated because I did all the work myself, and the fact that they laughed at my sketch and kind of, you know, said, oh, that's too dark. The lips are too big and put it aside or threw it away. I don't know what they done with it, but I I gave it to them and I I have no idea. But Steve Perkins told me he held on to the sketch in case one day somebody wanted it or wanted to see it. He told me he had a copy of it. So, but Caswell County, that nothing really. And, I, I think that they really got into victimizing the women, and they were very rude about it. And I, I would, I hope to God that no other woman would have to go through what I went through to get closure. It was just terrible. <laughs> and, you know, I would have been today dead down in the rocks, and they would have just probably never even... Took time to even read about it, or go down in there, or do any investigation. I, I just have no use for the who worked on the case. Steve did some, but you know, I'll give him credit for that. But,
0: um, well, Kathy, I'd, I'd just like to say something that I, it's, it's an honor to hear your story today. And the fact that oh, thank you, you so have much. had to live with this for all of these years is, is, you know, it's a testament to your bravery and your courage to um, bring this story to light because, and, and the one thing I want to say is as well, and you've been, victimized you've been revictimized and victimized again, and it seems like this is is a pattern of conduct, especially women victims in cases similar to yours that you know there's there's a fear level in and you know being that this happened back in the eighties um, things were a lot different then than they are now, at least now because of people like you having the courage to come forth with your stories i think more women at least are being heard and oh yes
2: there's so many right now that that live with this and mine was just so i can't explain it was so shocking you know just to sit there that many days, watch him beat on the steering wheel and slobber and drink and cuss and bang in the truck and never know when I was going to wind up dead and a knife and a gun to me and all the other bad stuff that happened. And it was just, it it was enough to leave me kind of, it just, I'm, I'm so nervous today and I, it's messed up a lot of my thinking and even my marriage, you know, and I'm afraid to date half the time. I haven't, you know, and I'm. it's just took a big part of my life, you know, and it'll always be there, and I just can't seem to get it out. No matter what I do, it always comes back. Well, I truly
0: hope that, that one day you realize what an important part in, in women's history you've made. And might seem like just a... a dot of sand, but if everyone, I mean, we look at the Me Too movement over the past few years, and I think that's been, it's been encouraging in the sense that more women who have lived with fear, I mean, it's fear, and it's a traumatizing fear that doesn't just go away with a couple counseling sessions and and a prescription. It doesn't go away. It affects every part of your life. as as far as, and and you, again, you can testify to that point. But I think your part in all of this is is going to make a difference. I really truly believe that, that, you know, you may not be a well-known celebrity who has come out, you know, with with tales of their sexual assaults, but you, to me, you are the everyday woman. You are the, The woman that we can identify with, that we can say, you know, she survived this. And
2: um, I have a very good friend I may
0: want to put you in touch with, and she may be able to, you know, to encourage you even more. So after after we we finish this, I'll get back in touch with you and, and make an introduction.
2: Okay, I do talk to a lot of women, and I inspire them to come forward that were either assaulted by a family relative, or and I notice I do see a lot of girls walking very young, and I put myself in their shoes and think of my case, and I try to pick them up, but I know that I, I can't do that. That's kind of like, you know, I just try to see if they need a ride, but I've stopped that because they could even get you for kidnapping nowadays they always look at the person to be a bad person even if you're trying to help somebody so you know I do try to inspire a lot of women to come out with this because you just can't live with that forever you can't it'll drive you insane and and it leads you to a lot of anger I do have a lot of anger in my heart and and it's never going away I do know that and so I write, write, write when I'm not busy working, and I used to run a restaurant many years, and I still work in one, but I just work and work and work, and it keeps my mind off of things, and I write when I get in, And but I guess just going back to it today has made me a little nervous, but it's it get, it's got a lot out too, though. I love to get that out and know somebody is listening, and I feel like, somebody is believing me, they're listening, they're here for me, and they know what has happened, and I feel a sense of closure. And with a bureau, forget it. You know, I even went through the FBI, SBI, and they pretty much, you know, oh, we don't fool with these kind of cases. And I got nowhere in North Carolina.
1: (laughs) Uh, Kathy, can we talk about... uh... My first walk again. Your manuscript for a second. Uh, now, you say that you had some uh, publishing houses and so forth interested, but they they veered away from from what you had in your original manuscript, and it sounds like they tried to sensationalize the story. By uh,
2: oh yes, they tried you know, to make a They tried to make it very awful, dirty guttery, and I think they did some underground interneting. and I believe they put some of this, um, it was all just a very, um, they were LLC company, and I just kind of, um, my boss mentioned them at a restaurant, and they were out to just make it filthy, and, and get it written quick, and try to put it out there, and make a movie, they tried to do everything with it, and I know now they've moved away, and I don't know what they're doing with it or what's going on, but I, you know, spoke to somebody about it, and they told me that they could never go on with it. It was all just a breach of contract, and and, um, I wasn't looking to do anything with it, but just write and put it into a beautiful story that, that wound it up, you know, sad story that wound it up to be a great ending, you know, the escape. I just thought one day I would like to make it into you know, just not anything very dirty like they did it and rearranged a lot of the words and made up a lot of it. You know, it was, I'm about the truth, you know, and I, I was really upset but I don't see them anymore and I think they put some of it in maybe Barnes and Noble or uh, maybe books a million and I don't know what all they've done with it but I think it's just fitting now because they had on it $80 for a used book and this and that but I, I don't think that they, I don't know what they've done, I've not talked to them people or seen them in years and and I don't ever want to fool them kind of people but um, I did think I've got a totally different manuscript and I've used the real everything and I want one day to get a real publisher, a real person that knows how to write.
1: <laughs> well, I want to compliment you on uh, what you've done as far as not getting on board with a inaccurate or distorted story that was uh, written for the no. for the sake of strictly selling books. No, I uh, was really upset.
2: I was I was very upset, and you know, I called. And um, I I talked to a a, – he was an attorney, and I just told him what they did and all. He said, they can't do a thing. That's your story, and that's your life. And they were trying to make a quick profit off of something that was made believe and made – put into filth and and not even true. And so he knew the whole outfit, and he said not to even worry about – but I wasn't really looking to do anything with it, and I just thought one day that, you know, if it was ever in that area where this happened, it might ring a bell to some of the missing.
1: Have you contacted any uh, agencies that would know about missing people? Obviously, the police would have uh, presumably reports <coughs> on missing missing people. Have you contacted any civilian agencies or groups that might uh, have information on missing people in that area?
2: Uh, Yes, I looked up. um, There's a lot of counties in the surrounding areas where this happened to me. I looked up, and there is, um, I think uh, so far I added up like over 200 missing. They're boys and girls. And how many counties?
0: How many counties did you Um, look into around there, Kathy, to
2: have that many? Well, it was, uh, they said the rock quarry was like from Virginia up to North Carolina. It was like touching the jurisdictions of both. And the surrounding counties, I only look like, in North Carolina. And a little Mm -hmm. bit of Virginia had about 200 missing people. And that was back in... um, I forget the year, but it was kind of in the 70s or 90s, eight, all through different years.
0: That's pretty astounding. You would think that um, someone needs to look into this.
1: Yeah, it's, I, it's, mean, uh, I mean, it
0: should be public record. It should be you know, most most either county departments or sheriff's departments, county police, whatever you know jurisdictions, they usually will have a list of of missing persons, no matter how old they are. Um, so, you know, it. Well, it, uh,
2: it, one thing that I kind of. Um, I would have never known until uh, Dennis told me to get the records, but they had in there, the only charge they had was assault, and they never had about the kidnapping, which I was took against my will, you know, and I thought, well, that's one charge I left out of the record, and I, I don't know why, but... <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of very concerning issues with these counties um, that you're having to deal with. If there's, you know, with the, obviously, I, I doubt that your case is the first case nor the last case of something similar to what happened to you no, in that um, area. And there's no way of knowing what kind of resolution anyone's gotten over the years. And then the, you know, you layer that on on top of the fact that there's. 200 missing people that are not accounted for over the years. That's another thing that is
2: very concerning. So what's the holdup here? I had read in one county there were six or seven missing Afro-American girls, and they said they could not get anyone to even do anything, and, That's when I thought, well, it's not just me, you know, there's, and I've seen a lot of complaints on, but that's in North Carolina, and there's a crazy rule there. I talked to the advocate attorney, um, uh, Joe, when he was in, advocate attorney of sexual assault collation, and he said that's the only state where, If something happens to a woman, say she's, you know, in a relationship and something happens and it gets violent, it's the only state where she's not allowed to report it as, you know, like to be wrong. It's the only state where it's not considered a rape or violence. So I figure, well, if the governors did that, then (laughs) and they said a lot of the rate kits were thrown in the trash and I never believed that until I actually heard about that and read it and I thought, well, gosh, that's just unreal, you know. I'm not the only one that's complaining.
1: That that number of missing persons is really scary. I mean, you know, some of them obviously could have been runaways or or what have you, but uh when you're talking a couple hundred people <laughs> You got to believe that some of them were were not simple runaways that uh, you know that maybe disappeared against their will and uh, you know who knows what happened to them. Do you, do you find that figure upsetting, uh, D? Oh yeah.
0: very much um, so. Very good. much upsetting, and I think again, it's I would need to you know a, a little investigation there. D- yeah, definitely the, the, need to find out what the current numbers are, and you know how many. And it could be that there's 200 reported, and many of them, you know, the cases may have been solved. The people may have shown back up in one way or another. That happens a lot. Um, well, so uh, there's depends.
2: some in uh, Raleigh, and which I don't know, but I also uh, talked a lot in the past to Project Cold Case. Um, I had talked to a few ladies there and I went there kind of like um, they were going to be doing some classes online and you know I I, I talked to them and the administrator told me that people like that were serial type killers and they go all over the world to get their victims and I thought well I sure didn't know that you know but I don't know how how far they go, but he said they go to a lot of different areas, strange areas to get their victims, and well, that makes sense, so nobody knows them.
0: <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of a lot of different issues surrounding you know not not just your case but the jurisdictions in which all of this happened to you and i think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered um, as far as how are these how are these agencies handling things now as maybe as compared to 1982 we were in a different time obviously but how how going forward are these agencies handling these types of cases and what are they doing about it I just feel like there's, there's just numerous questions that need to be answered here.
1: Well, you know, this might be a good time to try to get answers in in this sense that right now there's an awful, uh, there's a great focus on police transparency and uh, police reforms and so forth. So this, there, there might be some, uh, a receptive audience out there to the to the idea of trying to get accountability and transparency and explanations as to what is happening. Uh, what do you think, Delilah? I, I think this might be a, a good time where you could uh, get someone to take an interest.
0: Exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, with the situation our country is in right now, it's I I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some police agencies, or, or you know, and and again, I'm just going by what I either see online or on the news. I don't know how true any of that is, but you know, some agencies are are going overboard to be more. What do you want to call it? Politically correct in, in their policing, but then again, there's a lot of them gone the opposite way. So. I think we're in a time of, we're at a crossroads. We're absolutely at a crossroads where policing is concerned. And I think it's going to take a while to see how this is all shapes
2: Yeah, I have a lot of respect for law enforcement. And, you know, I, I always have. But as far as this case, I kind of lost a lot. But they're not all like that, though. There are some very good ones out there.
1: Well, I think Kathy uh, Delilah and I are both in uh, are involved with the transparency project, which is deals with uh, police transparency, and our angle, our piece of it, is, is primarily from uh, for the survivors or victims of murder and suspicious death, and. Uh, the the availability of records and uh, getting, getting records from the police so that the survivors can find out what the investigations actually consisted of. Because right now the police agency, police agencies are exempt from having to respond to freedom of information requests if they have an open case. And uh, there really isn't an appeals process if, if. For example, if you had a case that was 30, 40 or 50 years old and was still technically open and the family is trying to find out what happened during the investigation or what the investigation consisted of, the police agency can say, we're sorry, this is an open case. We're not going to tell you anything. And, you know, there are times when the police definitely should keep their cards close to their vest because they don't want to jeopardize an actual investigation. But to have investigations that are sitting on a shelf somewhere and listed as open, which allows the handling agency to deny any requests for information uh, is troubling, Uh, especially when there's no appeals process and there's nowhere for the, for the uh, survivor of the victim to go to appeal the denial. And like I say, when you have cases that have not been actually worked on, they're sitting on a shelf somewhere, and they've been there for years or decades, uh, it, it's it's a very frustrating thing for these survivors to be told they're not going to get any information. So it, it is uh, extremely frustrating. I think Delilah will agree with me on that.
2: Oh,
0: absolutely. Well, it's very frustrating.
2: I did write quite a bit of letters to like um the Senator, House of Reps. I wrote the governor. I mean, I wrote quite a bit about everything. I was looking for an answer and <laughs> the governor wrote me maybe two sentences. It says, Um, I'm sorry for what happened, seek an attorney and I've still got that letter and I'm like, Seek an attorney for what? <laughs> I did my own attorney work. <laughs>
1: yeah in in fact on the uh the police transparency angle i have written to several senators over the last few weeks because they were uh, debating this uh police reform bill or debating whether to address the police reforms and uh disappointingly that some of the responses i got they the office uh, obviously probably the congressman or senator never actually read what I sent somebody some staff member did and I got a generic reply "Thanks you so much for your comments we appreciate your interest and blah 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 and they never ever actually addressed the issue that I raised which was uh, I found to be very disappointing you know, so I I understand where you're coming from when you when you say that uh, the letter you got back from the governor was disappointing I uh, it it really is it's very frustrating, and I'm not sure what to do about it it's uh, you know you, you keep hitting you keep hitting brick walls um so i've I've been hopeful though that as long as this keeps going this debate if you will or the conversation about the police issues that there's got to be somebody out there in a position to do something that would actually take an interest and actually try to do something. So I suppose it's just a matter of contacting enough people until you find somebody who would actually read what you send them and respond to it and uh, and do something helpful. So <laughs> that you, you have to be very tenacious in this uh, in this environment. That's what funny. are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's the nature of the thing. And uh, I want to get back again, because we're, we're starting to get short on time here, Kathy. But to your manuscript, um, you know, you have a, a certainly a story that, that needs to be told. And you say you've rewritten the manuscript and have it the way you want it primarily, in other words, the story that it tells is the story
2: that you want oh, to hold, yes. the story has, you're comfortable with. It has to be 100% the truth, and no ads or ends or any filthiness that don't even add up to us. St- I mean, it was all twisted, and it was just, it made me almost sick. It was all so bad, and I got really upset, but I wanted just the way it happened and the exact words and not sugar-coated to be something filthy and, I think they tried that just to do something ugly with it, and I know what I believe they were trying.
1: <laughs> are, are you, Kathy? Are you actually um, reaching out or trying to reach out to potential, you know, writers that would work with you, or are you kind of sitting back waiting for somebody to contact you, or oh, what, no what are you sir. doing I in regards to that?
2: I've just been on my own writing and, you know, I like to redo the manuscripts. I like to write manuscripts all the time and just about everything, but I've wrote maybe about ten in a row about my story and I write about a lot of things. I really love to write, but I don't know anything about putting together anything. <laughs> I wasn't very smart in high school, but I sure was in English and writing. I sure can write. And I passed the English you? like you wouldn't believe. Huh?
1: Do you, do you do you belong to any writers groups? There, there, a lot of them. You have, you know, local writers groups that you can physically go to meetings, and others are online, and you can join online writers groups. And there um, are a lot of good authors out there that will, uh, you know, can help you along. That that have knowledge about uh, our experience in the publishing business or dealing with publishers and so on. So a writer's groups can be a great thing for you if it's anything you're interested in. But you you can find online, you can research and see if there's a writer's group, a physical group in your area. Uh, and if not, you can find online groups that uh, that can be very beneficial to you as far as getting your manuscript out there.
2: Well, I'm kind of computer illiterate, too. I'm lucky to even get on in text and <laughs> I'm not very smart at that kind of stuff. I'm—I I was never smart at like the business world, but common sense and as far as English and writing, now, that's one thing I can do. But the rest of the world, forget it. Not very bright at that stuff. A lot of times, I've tried to download an app now for a week, so I—I've never had a chance to learn it. I'm always a busy girl, you know. I've—I've I've worked since I was 15 and never stopped and. 12, 15-hour shifts. that I work a lot.
1: <laughs> I always tell people I'm very low tech too. I can, I can function somewhat on the computer, but I certainly would not consider myself a whiz on it. I've got to tell you that. Uh, okay, listen, we're we're running out of time here, Kathy. I, before we close out, I'd like you to tell people how they can reach you. Do you have a Facebook account or a website or anything people could uh, contact you? act or with if they have any suggestions or maybe want to talk with
2: you. Oh I know my Gmail it's Kathy Shaw one oh one at gmail dot com. Now I do know how to Gmail. <laughs> That's one thing I learned good.
1: <laughs> and what is, uh repeat that again, Kathy Shaw one zero one at okay, gmail dot so the- com
2: Yes, uh huh at gmail.com. dot com
1: Okay, thank you very much, Kathy, for being with us today and telling us your story. Um, I certainly hope you have luck in getting that manuscript out there because it is a, a story that, that needs to be told. And I also want to thank our audience today for listening. Until next time, stay healthy and stay
0: safe. Uh-huh.